Where's the strangest place you've lost your car keys? Inside the refrigerator, the washer or dryer, the trunk of your car, the kitty litter box? Well, good news, because even if you've lost your keys on the moon, you can still unlock your car and get where you're going with available digital key in the 2023 all-new Kia Nero EV. Farther for all. To learn more, visit kia.com slash Nero EV today. Kia, movement that inspires. Hello, and welcome to Cover Your Eyes Podcast. I'm Sarah Devereaux, and this is my friend, Holly Oliver. Hey, Holly. Hello, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) I love when you introduce me. (laughs) I'm still working on how to do the opening. (laughs) It's been a long time, but um, just thank you for working with me and being patient with me as I figure out how to do the same thing over and over again. (laughs) God. Well, today we're talking about a movie called The Witches of Eastwick from 1987. And it stars Cher as Alexandra and Susan as Jane. I mean, Susan Sarandon as Jane. (laughs) We're on a first name basis. (laughs) And Michelle Pfeiffer as Sookie. And then, of course, Jack Nicholson as Daryl Van Horn. (laughs) Even though I've known of him my entire life, sometimes I still think, is it Jack Nicholson or Jack Nicholas? And Jack Nicholas is the golfer, and Jack Nicholson is the actor. But I still sometimes get the names mixed up. (laughs) Does that ever happen to you? No. Okay. I didn't know that there was a golfer named Jack Nicholas. (laughs) but now I have a feeling I'm going to start confusing them (laughs) it's fine it doesn't come up too often (laughs) yeah so I um I really haven't watched this movie like at all as an adult or teen or anything and I'm excited to get your take on this because it has witches so I know they'll have something to say so I'm really happy um, that we chose this, and I'm looking forward to hear what you have to say about it. Where should well, we begin? Well, I am like you. I have not seen this movie since uh, probably whenever it came out on video. So probably like 1989 I saw it, I would mm-hmm. say. It was one of those movies where my mom was just like, this is what I'm doing tonight, and you can be in the you can be in the room with me, <laughs> kind <laughs> of a kind of a thing. And there's actually not like any sex scenes at all, so I really didn't cover my eyes and pretty much saw the whole thing. The only thing I remembered from it was that it had a lot of uh, liquidy vomit in it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God. And so if if you have vomit troubles, like maybe skip this episode <laughs> and definitely skip the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and I actually wonder, like, is all other vomit scenes in TV shows and movies because there are so many of them? Yeah. Are they all just a reference back to the Witches of Eastwick? Mm-hmm. Isn't this the first time that there's just like excessive ongoing vomit throughout a movie? 
Okay, that's a good question. That's making me think um, Stand By Me. This reminds me of the vomiting in Stand By Me. Which one came first? I don't know. Okay, but I totally forgot about the vomit in Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a memorable scene. And it's similar. That's like blueberries, I think. Oh, oh God. Now I, rem- now I remember. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, we might as well just get the vomit out of the way. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't sneak up on us later. <laughs> I mean, I think it's out there. So I was like really dreading watching this actually because (laughs) Jack Nicholson pretty much makes my skin crawl. Except I really like the movie Head starring the monkeys. What? It's a Jack Nicholson movie. Like he did the movie. Is this real? Yes, it's real. It's okay. happening. It's real and it's happening. It's got it's, it's great. It's one of my it. favorite movies. The Frank Zappa has a guest appearance in it. Oh my god. How have I never heard of this? Yeah, it's called Head. Weird. Yeah. Uh, okay. Mickey, Mickey from the monkeys. Mm-hmm. That's his name, right? Mickey. Mickey Dolan's or something. Yeah. He's the head. And of the, he's the star of the show, I guess you would say. I mean, I would watch the monkeys at my grandma's house. I remember. And I always thought Mickey was like, I didn't like the way he looked. Mm-hmm. He's my least favorite looking monkey. Okay. So I actually, my least favorite looking monkey was always uh Davy's the one I'm thinking of. Oh my god, I was gonna say you better not say Davy. Yeah, <laughs> I said he was the least <laughs> cute monkey. You no. have just always been contrarian. You're a contrarian even as a child. <laughs> You're like, if everyone else thinks Davy's cute, then I don't. <laughs> but it's not on purpose, I swear. <laughs> If you tell me that you thought Mickey was cute, then I'm ending this recording. So in my mind, there are four monkeys, but I can only picture three. Oh, no, I know the other one. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know the other one now. Davy Jones. Mike Dolans. Mickey Dolans. Pete something. Yeah, Pete something. Something else. Mike something. And supposedly one of them like invented whiteout or His post-it mom. notes or something. Okay. That's the one that I thought was the cutest. He always wore like a toque, like a like a winter cap kind of thing. Yeah, like a little beanie. Okay. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, what a detour. All right. So. <laughs> oh yeah. So Jack Nicholson did that, and then he also did the movie The Trip mm-hmm. with uh, Peter Fonda. Hmm. And that movie is amazing as well. So I do have this part of me that loves Jack Nicholson. But at the time that I saw the movie the first time, I was extremely resistant to the whole thing and associated it with the way that Hollywood always would cast a hot woman with a guy that was either average to below average. Mm in attractiveness and was always old. 
you know, and I'm like a kid. So if you're 30, I think you're old, but you know, like a 45 year old or something with a 20 year old woman, it's totally misguided and miscast. And so I associate it with that because at the time I didn't grasp what was happening in the movie when I was a kid and I saw it mm-hmm. now this time. So then I've avoided this movie my whole life. So then you recommend that we watch it. And I say, <laughs> okay. And I was completely blown away by it. I loved it. Yeah. I really liked it too. I didn't remember a lot of it. I mainly just remembered like for me, the overarching theme was just like sex because the women were always, I just remember the scene when like all three of the women were like sprawled out on his bed with like come hither looks and then him always being in a robe in his bedroom. And I just felt like there was like strong sex theme to the whole movie. Um, and that was the main thing that I remember from it. I wasn't really getting a lot of the whole like, you know, male, female dynamics and society commentary and things like that as a child. Um, but yeah, as far as noticing that it's always like older, unattractive or average men with hot women. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that for my whole life, too. <laughs> <laughs> and this movie really illustrates it because he gets three hot women. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a servitor? No. Um, a servitor is a spirit that you create to do your bidding. And you do it through some kind of a magical act there's various ways you can do that which i'm not going to get into but the thing is suki jane and alexandra when they get together when their mind is exactly all pinpointed at the same time on the same thing they have the ability to manifest it and it's the power of three the three of cups and the tarot it's the frequency of unity. So at the beginning of the movie, whenever Warren, now this is the summary through my interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> Get it out of the way. At the beginning of the movie, Warren, who's like the principal of the school of the elementary school is grabbing Jane's ass while she's speaking to the class, her class of children, because she's a music teacher and she teaches elementary school children. So right off the bat, you're like, oh my God, this guy's horrible. So then later they're doing this, he's giving this pompous windbag speech (laughs) about like morals or something out in front of the school. And you keep seeing Jane, Suki and Alexandra all looking at each other and kind of just being like really glaring at Warren or the weather vane on top of the school starts spinning really fast and gets kind of wobbly. And I thought Warren was going to, was going to get killed by the weather vane. Impaled like the omen. (laughs) Right. He didn't, but this big storm came up and it, it ceased his ramblings. (laughs) (laughs) And then they're afterwards they're all hanging out and the three of them are like realize that they all were thinking exactly the same thing 
that they just wanted this to be over and they don't go around going, we're witches that, but they're just realizing that whenever they have, whenever their thoughts and feelings are on the same page, something they, they have the ability to create things. So then later they're, that night, they're talking about their ideal man because they're all single and uh, Alexandra and Suki have kids and you know, the, the dad's not in the picture. They create an image collectively of their ideal man. And they all have different wants and needs and desires of what that ideal man is. But keep in mind, they're all on the same page of an ideal man. Who rolls into town but a guy who nobody can remember what his name is? He buys this giant landmark house. He's moving in and it's all over town. Nobody can remember his name. Nobody can remember his name because he's not fully formed yet until Suki, Jane, and Alexandra are all in the same room with him. Mm. And you notice that when they all go to the party to meet the guy who nobody can remember his name, when they're all three in the room with him, suddenly everyone remembers his name. That's right. So then they meet Daryl, who's Jack Nicholson. He seduces all three of them individually. They're all kind of disgusted by him in their own ways. There's some kind of magnetic pull and they end up all having sex with him. Now, he has to seek them out and have intercourse with them because he needs their bodily fluids to make him a fully formed being. And here's the first rule of creating a servitor is that you never give the spirit any bodily fluids. (laughs) Because if you do, it kind of gives it like an individuality Mm -hmm. that you don't want it to have. But of course, they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand that Daryl is a creation of the three of them collectively. And you notice there's like this jealous tennis match when they all realize that they've fallen for the same man. Mm -hmm. And at first, they're like combative towards one another, but they can't be combative because if they are not all in alignment with their thoughts and feelings, then Daryl will disappear. Mm. So he's got to keep them all on the same page. So the game gets really slow and he shows them how they can control the physical world by all having the same thought at the same time. They all get pregnant with his baby, which is an interesting idea because he's also their baby Mm. so therein it's interesting that we picked this movie after flowers in the attic because it's actually incestuous (laughs) because they've been they have impregnated themselves with their own creation of a human man whoa Mm mm-hmm it's kind of like weird science then too (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're right (laughs) oh my gosh wow jack i mean sorry daryl is like getting out of hand 
and getting a mind of his own, becoming a more of an individual human. There's a woman in town. So Felicia got a horrible feeling about Daryl, doesn't like him at all. She's uh, inclined to be uh, frame things religiously. So she automatically goes into like Satan witchcraft stuff. And she's like clearly the uh, person that would potentially cause a witch hunt panic if we were in other times. She slips and falls and ends up in the hospital and has some kind of problem that makes her like lash out, which we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. Um, but Daryl decides to get rid of her and like manipulates things so that she ends up dying. Suki, Jane and Alexandra realized that Daryl did that. And they're like, well, we can't have him around. So then they turn to actual witchcraft to destroy him through a poppet. Also, you know, um, like a doll that's a substitute for the person. They obliterate him. And then they have babies and live in the house and decide that they can never think about him all at the same time or he'll reappear. Right. How is that? That's perfect. (laughs) Okay. Because I have questions about him. I definitely agree that like the three of them had to come together from the beginning. Like you can see their powers but they don't see them and Suki is the one that's like really trying to get the other two in tune to realize like hey when we all were together and thinking the same thing a giant storm came up and ended speech that we all wanted to end and they're like um Jane and Alexander just blow it off because they're like you know probably everyone that was there wanted it to end so it wasn't unique to them because <laughs> everyone was miserable listening to his speech so but Suki like senses more there's a moment when because Suki works for the newspaper she's a reporter and Felicia's husband runs the newspaper and he seems like a nice guy yeah okay. Clyde he's the dad from six feet under right um, so, but there's a time when Suki's on the phone and she's calling Alexander to tell her, Hey, someone bought the new, bought the old Lennox mansion up on the hill. And this is the night after they'd all talked about their ideal man. And Suki thinks it's weird. She's like, Hmm, we all just talked about this and now there's a new man in town. But again, no one else is really seeing it. And then Alexandra's on the phone and she's like, who's that that just came in? Was it Felicia? And it's like, Felicia just walked in. Alexandra was just on the phone. She couldn't see her, but she knew and like sensed her presence. So they already all had like a strong psychic connection together, even before this started with like Daryl coming into town. Yeah. And so they're all single for different reasons. So Suki has six kids and her husband left her six daughters. And basically, like, her husband left her because she had too many kids. <laughs> and then Jane's husband left her because she couldn't have any kids. And then Alexandra, Cher's husband, died. Um, and she just had the one daughter. 
So they're all single for different reasons. They all spend their time talking about men, like when they get together once a week and have a giant pitcher of martinis <laughs> with tons of amazing snacks. It looks like so much. <laughs> and then like Jane's divorce is just getting finalized. So she's sad and they're talking about men. And then they're just basically like, we don't even need men, you know? And then they're like, well, then why do we always end up talking about them? Cause every time they get together, that's what they talk about. But that was the first night when I guess they really each mentioned like what they wanted in their ideal man. And Cher was more about like intellect and having someone to talk with. And Jane wanted someone with a huge penis. <laughs> they all wanted a different size. They all wanted a different size. And Cher was just like Goldilocks. She wanted something right in the middle. I was wondering if he was supposed to be like the devil. There's a long, rich history of creating spirits mm-hmm. uh, for to serve pur- a particular purpose. They are called egregores servitors there's a few other names for them they have this concept around the world i think that felicia the one who immediately goes into satan's in town she goes into her whole traditional witch hunt spiel i think she was there to remind people of how absurd that ideology is because you notice that felicia got really into this idea after she fell down the stairs. She clutched her pearls so hard that the necklace bust and she slips on her own pearls down the stairs, which is terrible, but she had the most graceful fall of anyone. She's like, I think I broke my leg, but she got some kind of disease or some kind. Do you remember that part where the doctor was talking about how she got an infection mm-hmm. and that's what was making her yeah. have these outbursts because she would have these outbursts where she would just like scream things that were fundamentalist Christian and just sort of like screaming out. It's like a dogmatic Tourette's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. uh, the doctor is saying this woman is ill. So the only one in town that's claiming Satan is the woman who has been declared ill by the doctor. Because people comment that he's not attractive in the movie. And I think the reason that they picked an actor who wasn't like, just like some hot guy is because they all, the three of them all desired different things. There had to be like, the he had the ability to sort of shapeshift into what they desire. But I still don't see why he couldn't have been attractive. None of them desired an unattractive man. <laughs> Take into account that they didn't actually know they were creating a man. He's a little more slapdash than, and rough around the edges than if they had done it on purpose. Hodgepodge. <laughs> Hodgepodge of a man. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So Felicia, because she broke her leg, then the doctor said she had a fatty embolism. Because if you break a large bone, like your femur or another large bone, mainly your femur, you'll get bone marrow that comes out and then that causes a fatty embolism. And then the doctor was saying, so mainly that will be dangerous if it goes to your lungs, like almost like getting like a blood clot in your lungs, you know, like a DVT or something. Mm -hmm. But 
it could also go to your brain because it's in your bloodstream. And then that could cause like inflammation. Mainly if that happens, you you don't usually become psychotic. <laughs> you could get, sometimes it could cause a coma or it can cause like confusion or lethargy or things like that. Um, but if it does cause inflammation in your brain, it could almost be like, you know, meningitis or encephalitis. It could make you present with like a different personality or odd behaviors. Probably not like how it manifested in her, but it's a good way to use it in the movie. Okay. I was, I really was like, oh, I'm excited to get your take on her disorder. So that could be, but I think, I think that it was more really just a coincidence, right? That she would have been saying those things anyway. I think she would have been saying those things anyway, but in a more Mm -hmm. elegant way. (laughs) maybe maybe it pushed her over the edge into being a person that runs into a church that's full during church service and screams things like dildo over and over again Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) which actually prompted me I was like dildo is a really funny word so I looked it up and (laughs) um it's sort of a mystery of the word origin like oh okay uh, that's that you sent me yeah, and then I and then I found that poem, Senior Dildo, <laughs> which maybe I'll do a dramatic reading of Senior Dildo on our Patreon. Mm-hmm. You should. <laughs> it's a pretty good poem. It's very long. Well, it should be. <laughs> I don't want a short dildo poem. <laughs> okay, so I also thought that he was like Satan. Because he said he needed to use them as like vessels to get more of him on earth. I think that any spirit would want that because I mean, think about it. Human men want that too. Mm -hmm. I mean, so are human men Satan? Depends who you ask (laughs) and on what day. (laughs) No, I could see how. So that's an interesting, like how depending on what your schema is it's like you have one interpretation of what he is or another interpretation also I guess let me to back up my my argument that he's not Satan but a spirit that they created Mm -hmm. is that whenever they decide to destroy him he shrivels up into he blows he gets really big and then he shrivels up into this like weird fetus that looks like a racer head's cousin or oh, something. Yeah. <laughs> and people have been trying to destroy the devil for millennia and have been unable to do it. So I don't think that he would shrink up and dissipate from a poppet that they're sticking needles in and destroying, I guess. Mm-hmm. So that kind of made me think too that he was a thing that they created because they could so completely destroy him. And then at the end, like whenever he's on all of the TVs and he's like talking to his babies, like at first I was like, oh, please. But then I realized like they all think about him and miss him. And they were even saying, like, stop, like we can't all be in the same room thinking about him at the same time but because they are still have that he still has like 
his spirit still has like a thread. And, you know, it's interesting because in servitor creation, you always have a kill switch, basically. And it's a combination of things that you can put together to get rid of the spirit that you created. And you preset that. You That's predetermined. So it could be like a... So, you know, soil, like a handful of soil, uh, three drops of bergamot oil and, and some grass that you picked from your yard and you have those things together. And then you have some preset words that you made up. And I think there's other things too. I don't remember. I read about it a while ago, but there's in this tradition, there's always a way to destroy the spirit if it gets out of hand. Plus, you should never give it any bodily fluids. <laughs> so they are just like not going by the regulations of how to do safe spirit creating because they didn't know they were doing it. And that's why he got so out of hand and so like vivid and real. Okay. So you have like a servitor safe word kind of. <laughs> yeah. Okay, exactly. I mean, from what I read, I haven't done extensive research on it, but I have read about them because mm-hmm. I read about all kinds of magic. That's awesome. I think it's very interesting. It is interesting. Um, and another thing, and this is something that is very, I think, very crucial for context witchcraft becomes prevalent in times and places when people feel like they are having their power taken away from them. And so it's a tool of the oppressed, which is why it had to get smashed out in order for women to be robots and do what they're told and bake it into our fucking DNA that if we step out and go hang out in the fucking forest, that we might get attacked for it. Go hang out in the forest, woman. I just did today. (laughs) And I made direct eye contact with a deer. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) This actually kind of brings up something that Daryl said. Okay. uh, When he was talking to Alexandra and he says, marriage is good for the man, lousy for the woman. She dies. She suffocates. I've seen it. But then the husband goes around complaining to everyone that he's fucking a dead person, but he's the one who killed her. Yes, that's so great. I wrote that. (laughs) (laughs) So that gets into like so much is that the mansion that he buys was known for being on land where they killed a lot of witches in the past. So there's a link there. Uh, There's a thread of gothic. The three women uproot their lives and go to this mansion that has a storied history of burning witches. And there's a man there who's dangerous, which is like classic gothic. I was like, hey, another thing with flowers in the attic. There are I mean, a lot this of is gothic great. themes in our movies that I don't realize until you pointed out. <laughs> I feel like I couldn't really get a good handle on this movie of where it was going and what kind of message it was trying to send. I felt like it was going back and forth in my mind. <clears throat> so I was looking forward to talking about it and hearing what you had to say. Like, 
the women are all unhappy. They manifest this man. At first, they find him repulsive. And apparently, he smells bad, too. Like, they mentioned that he stinks, which made me think of sulfur. (laughs) (laughs) Made me think of Satan. Oh, see, that's funny because it made me think of how he has been manifested out of the earth. Mm-hmm. And so he probably has a very earthy smell. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the smell was probably like when somebody doesn't bathe. I was thinking of it, of him smelling like he's been camping all week. Mm-hmm. Because I imagined that his creation was formed out of the earth, which is another way that you can create a servitor. I'm going to have to look into this. I might need to get one of those. (laughs) I've got some bidding that needs to be done. He basically approaches him one by one. He sees Alexandra first share because she is riding her bike and she's approaching the property where the mansion is. Because she's curious because she heard about it. And also... So Alexandra's an artist and she makes these tiny little figurines that look like fertility dolls almost. She has them in this store and the woman tells her like, basically they haven't been selling at all, but suddenly someone bought all of them at once. And it's like right after this mysterious man comes into town and she realizes he's the one that bought it. So then her interest is peaked. She goes to just investigate the property. She's still really far away from it. But then all of a sudden she's in this field and he just appears next to her basically. And he's like, hi, uh, are you looking for me? (laughs) And she's like, no, I'm just out here riding my bike. And she's not into him. She's still very like skeptical and guarded, which is wise. (laughs) They're walking. She walks her bike and he goes to put his hand on her hand and she like withdraws her hand away right away. So they're outside having lunch in this tent and His servant is making this grand presentation for them. And he's basically talking to her and telling her everything that he would think she wants to hear. Like the speech that you referenced. He thinks that it's going to be enough to like get her in bed, which is what he ultimately wants. Um, She's someone that wanted someone to like talk with. So they are having a pretty intellectual conversation, even though he's dominating most of it. And then he's like, do you want to see my house? So she comes inside and then he changes into a robe because he's in a robe like 90% of the time. And then he gets on his giant bed and then he tries to like seduce her. And it's so uncomfortable. And I was thinking of you, how grossed out he must have been. (laughs) I was real grossed out. And he's like writhing around on the bed and saying (laughs) he's like a horny little devil. And um, she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm trying to be. With, as direct with you as possible, which is what I thought you would want, which is what she would want. But then he says something like, I like a little pussy after lunch. <laughs> I know. <laughs> which is very direct. <laughs> you can't get more direct than no. that. <laughs> so then she's just like, what is going on? Like you're repulsive. And then she gives one of her big speeches about how he's a chauvinist and repugnant and she's total share. She gives us a share moment. She's getting ready to walk out. And then he comes up to her and gives her like a whole other speech again about how, you know, I know you want more out of life and what are you going to do? You're just going to go home and take care of your daughter and do chores. And like the next day you're just going to do the same chores again. The dishes will still be there. The laundry will still be there. And you're better than this. And you know, you're meant for more than that. Um, and then he says something like, uh, a woman is a whole with all the futility of the world pouring into her. Mm-hmm. 
So, uh, calling a woman a whole is like reductivist sex sexism sounding, but then he's also saying it in a way that's like sympathetic to women and their plight. Basically, I don't. I just feel like all of the messages are like going back and forth and like contradictory, and I can't get a real take on it. You know what I mean? But he's basically he's like begging her in today's terms like trying to break her down so he's trying to tell her things that let her know that she's like quote-unquote seen by him and he understands that she feels like she's meant for more and that she's capable of more and he's being encouraging of her but it's like he's doing it all in order to get her to sleep with him so it's like the things he's saying are accurate Mm -hmm. and pretty enlightened I would say and pretty feminist even but then he's doing it for like just the purpose of getting her in bed. So at one point he's talking about how they used to burn witches at the house that he bought. When he's talking about how the witch hunt was started by the medical establishment to eliminate midwives, which Mm -hmm. is really accurate. And I was so excited to hear someone say this and I was like oh my god and this is like from 1987 Mm -hmm. but then he calls men cocksuckers so let's let's break this down cocksucker one who sucks cock (laughs) who sucks cock women suck cock and men sure but to call someone a cocksucker is to say ultimately that they are like a woman if you're saying that being like a woman is an insult then you're insulting all women anytime mm-hmm. you use the terms cocksucker, bitch. Same is true for cunt, for pussy. If you use those insults, you are still just insulting women. Mm-hmm. So I'm with you on how contradictory the messages are, but mm-hmm. also the man, John Updike, who wrote the book that this movie is based on, he said that he wrote it as an apology to feminists. Because he has written uh, books that were very, like, having no analysis of the gender roles. And so so a lot of his books um, come off as extremely misogynistic. On one level, The Witches of Eastwick is a, a portrait of a man struggling with his participation in patriarchy. Mm-hmm. But I think clearly somebody did their research because I feel like they get witchcraft pretty right in this movie. This is an explanation of why men have traditionally felt that it was crucial to their existence to completely suppress women on a physical level to the extent of dividing women against one another by making them competitive for men's attention. Because in this movie, you see the very true thing of how when women get together and connect in a real way, that they can ignite change very quickly. And that ultimately is why patriarchy is in place, so that women cannot connect with one another And it's also why the witch hunts 
effectively ended that for women because a lot of what could get you in trouble is if you just met with women because then suddenly you're a coven. <laughs> you must be a coven. There's more than two of you sitting in a room together. We know you're plotting against us men. Mm-hmm. Well said. <laughs> a lot of times when I'm talking, I'm like, do I make any sense at all? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think you do. Um, apparently in the book, there is a point where the he takes another lover in addition to the three women. And it's a younger woman named Jennifer. And then the other three women And in the movie too, I was getting like, I was like, this is turning into like a sister wives feel when he like brings them on individually. And then they like are jealous of each other. Like they're turning against each other at first. But yeah. So in the book, then the three women are jealous of the younger woman that he gets and they manifest cancer for her and she dies. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like, that's not very pro-feminine, you know, that's not cool, ladies. This is why it feels so contradictory because what Mm -hmm. we're really looking at is not how women are acting, but it's how a man is grappling with his own sexism. And so Mm -hmm. there can't, you can't help but have intense contradictions within the text. I mean, I guess it's good because it's an accurate reflection of life. You know, life is full of contradictions. Yeah. So it's not just giving us one storybook message wrapped up in a bow. And we carry those same contradictions within us as women. Mm -hmm. I see it all the fucking time. The dynamics that are at play through the manipulation of what we have been trained to believe about ourselves as women and about other women, which is that Mm -hmm. the most important function we have is to be as fuckable as possible. And if there's anybody in the room that seems like they might be more fuckable than you, then you better attack that bitch. That's your motto. I know you've said it many times. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm balls to the wall. <laughs> so many bar fights in your history. <laughs> I'm sorry, they're cat fights, okay? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Lady in the streets, freak in the sheets. <laughs> That's what we have to go by. It's not easy, people. Okay, so the other thing that was in the book that at the end, there's like a twist. And so the women have killed off the younger, more attractive woman, because that's what we have to do. And then he runs away with that woman's brother and becomes like lovers with Jennifer's brother. And that's like the end of the book. Isn't that interesting? Very different from the movie. The people that made the movie were like, there is a kernel of like very pro femininity in this book. And Mm -hmm. they, they tried to draw out those aspects and minimize the 
aspects of the man who wrote the book grappling with his role in a his role in a patriarchal society because uh, Daryl was created by these three women. These three women are Daryl's mother, mothers. And so when Daryl matures, he seeks out someone younger who in a weird way is like more his own age mentally because he is a, a new creature in a lot of ways And so he's gotten what he needs from his mothers, which is the nourishment of their body fluid, their sex fluids, right? Mm -hmm. And now he can move on. But then what happens is his mothers inflict their wrath upon the son their milk turns sour once again. Oh God, always the milk. And Updike's <laughs> solution from what you've told me, having not read the book, would seem to be that the only safe choice to turn from mother's wrath is to become a homosexual. I'd sum up Hollywood by saying it's all about vagina dentata and sour milk. Yeah. It seems to come up a lot. (laughs) So there must be something there. (laughs) Or maybe it's just me. (laughs) I don't know. We'll come back to that. Maybe it's my problem. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just projecting. I'm projecting it onto everything. (laughs) There's a lot to unpack there. We'll do it slowly (laughs) over time. So kind of like what you were saying there, one of the things he talks about, like when he's first approaching Jane, the cellist, to seduce her initially, she's the one that's like the most uptight and like her hair back in a French braid and like all conservatively dressed and and so he like tries to loosen her up and um he starts by negging her as well because he's critiquing her cello playing skills, her cellist skills. Mm-hmm. And he's like, play for me. He comes to her house. They have dinner, blah, blah, blah. She plays for him. And then he's like, you're whatever, whatever's really good, but your bowing hand is terrible. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, oh, you're right. I, I can't even play. I should just quit and everything. And then he's like, no, no, no. You have all this potential. And so then he like tells her what to do and like, let go and use your passion. And he plays on the piano accompanying her. And then she like is letting her passion go and her bowing hand is freed. And she plays so furiously that she like snaps the strings and the cello catches on fire. (laughs) And like, that is the fire that's ignited in her by their playing together. And then she like attacks him and has sex with him on the piano. So it's like, again, it's like he's using, like putting her down, which is something that we know that men do to like make the woman feel bad and that they need him. Like, oh, you're really bad at playing the cello, um, but I see some potential in you, you know? So he's like putting her down and then making himself like her savior, which is like a pattern that we see so often. 
But then he does unleash like a passion and a power in her and it does improve her playing and it lets her just be more free. So there is like a positive outcome from it too. I mean, I'm just going to keep going with all of these things that are like all the contradictions that I just, that just keep coming up. And then, so it's like a good thing. Then we see her at the mansion and the next thing you know, her hair is like, all of them, as they get liberated, their hair becomes bigger and curlier, which I love. I'm like, I am going to start wearing my hair bigger and curlier. Totally. Um, more often. But so you see her at the mansion. Now she's all like a sex pot and just like wearing a bathing suit all the time. And her hair's all flowing and she's very sultry. Like we know Susan Sarandon to be. Mm-hmm. And then he has summoned the other women, Alexandra and Suki, to the mansion. Suki hasn't met him yet, or she knows about him, and she's going to interview him for the paper. Like that was yes. his foray into getting introduced to her. And then Alexandra is telling Suki because Alexandra's already met him and slept with him, and she's like, "This guy's amazing! I can't wait for you to meet him." And then when they get there, Jane's already there, and Jane's become like very possessive of him mm-hmm. because they slept together that time. And then she is the first one that acts like really negative to the other women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are you doing here? Oh, and she's talking down to Cher. Um, and Cher's kind of like flabbergasted because she thought that she and Daryl were together. She didn't know that he was also <laughs> in the short amount of time also got with her friend Jane. And Suki doesn't know anything that's going on yet because she hasn't met him. But then um then they do the whole tennis match and realize their powers together and everything that you referenced earlier. Mm-hmm. But when he's talking to Jane and giving her the speech about before, before she has her like sexual cello session, then it's also the time when you mentioned that he talks about like the history of midwives and how the medical profession started calling them witches. And uh, he says like men lose their boner when confronted by a woman of obvious power. So they burn them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. <laughs> so the thing I wanted to ask is like, so Daryl is like unleashing all these women, helping them recognize their power. He makes Alexandra like realize she needs to do bigger works, not just these tiny little models, like bigger sculptures. And then he, I guess later he encourages Sookie somehow to, and he just is like making them become more fully realized versions of themselves, what they wanted to be. Or he's like helping them get there, it seems like. Right? So it seems like he's doing good. Yeah. Well, I mean, they called him in. Mm-hmm. They created him mm-hmm. to improve their lives. Right. And ultimately, they do improve. He does improve their lives. Right. And then, but they're in a tiny conservative town. So people start talking. And Susan Sarandon, uh, Jane goes to the grocery store in this, like, (laughs) the outfit. You start with pans up from her feet. And she's wearing high heels with lacy ankle socks, like total ZZ Top video. I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) That's so great. (laughs) And then this, like, short little dress. And she's just, like having a great time as she walks through the store, picking out chocolates, recommending things to people. 
feeling good. And then she gets to the checkout and then you realize like all the women are staring at her, glaring at her. And they're basically like one of them calls her slut. Yeah. And she's like, what? Where is this coming from? And then the checkout girl says something mean to her and she just is like, okay, everyone hates me here. And she like slinks out of the store. And then as she's leaving, one of them says, she's not even wearing a bra. Uh (laughs) (laughs) But so after that incident, then they're back at the mansion. Maybe we should just lay low for a while. Like things are really heating up and Felicia's on her case and all of that. And so they haven't done anything wrong, but they just don't want all this criticism from the town. They don't want all the eyes on them. Let's talk about the women in the grocery store for me. Sure. Jane is finally being herself in her full expression. Mm-hmm. Everyone in the world has a full expression, a healthy full expression of themselves somewhere. We get that chiseled away from us through the way that we're taught to be in public and also the way that people socially sanction other people's behavior so that you get to the point where you want to wear that dress to the grocery store, but you don't because you're afraid other women are going to glare at you. So now you've got women policing each other so that nobody ever shines too brightly. So no one ever outshines a man. Mm. So women have been trained and to bully one another. So the men don't have to do it. It's internalized misogyny. It's just like a woman calling another woman a slut. So now you're saying that you're basically telling yourself that you can't enjoy sex because that'll make you a slut. And that means you're bad because you enjoy sex and therefore your body's bad because of Eve. But the whole thing is really just that it's a way to keep men in power. If all of those women in the grocery store were like, oh my God, Jane, I love your hair. Like your outfit looks amazing. They could go home and then do their own hair and they could shine the way that they want to shine and they could use Jane as an inspiration. Yes. (laughs) Right on. I was going to say that I definitely thought of you during the grocery store scene because we've talked about this, how, you know, you have an amazing wardrobe and you love to express yourself with your clothing and other, you know, your hair, just everything. It's like part of you and it's a great expression of yourself and you always look amazing. But when you typically go to a grocery store, like most people would be like me, like wearing like leggings and a t-shirt or just whatever. I don't even want to tell you what I wore to the store today when I went out to buy Tylenol really fast. <laughs> I'm not even going to I'm just like, let me get in and out without anyone seeing me. Um, but so I definitely thought of you because I know you encountered things like this and it's like, who does she think she is wearing something nice to the grocery store, you or, know, or, Oh, you look dressed up. <laughs> it's always when I have a dress on go, my go-to comeback is, well, I actually feel like I'm wearing pajamas. <laughs> I'm rather comfortable. Don't try to boss me around with your glaring. If my pretty dress is upsetting you, then to me, that's an indication that we need to go shopping because you need a new <laughs> wardrobe, honey. 
makeover time. <laughs> I just really love it whenever women can encourage one another. When we all shine together, we make magic. In this movie, Jane, Suki, and Alexandra, they shine together and they make magic. Mm-hmm. And when they learn to, when they realize that they have these powers, they rein it in and they go, wait a second, we created something that we didn't mean to make and they get rid of it, mm-hmm. even though they miss it, being it being Daryl. Yeah. And instead, what they do is they stay united and they encourage one another to be a bright light. We all have the opportunity to do that with one another. It's beautiful. Thanks. Yeah. What we're getting at is that like, yes, they manifested him and he helped them like fully find themselves and find like the best version of themselves or an improved version of themselves fully realized what they were looking for and everything's going well and they're all living together in harmony at the mansion but it's drawing attention from the town folk even though they're not doing anything wrong they're not hurting anyone they're just being too much of themselves they're shining too bright like you said and so they know that in this town like that's not going to fly and something was happening where it was like drawing negative attention toward their children as well so they're like, let's rein it in. Let's just cool this down for a while until things settle down. And that meant spending time away from Daryl. And he didn't like that. Um, and then they had been talking about Felicia, how she's really kicking up stink. And so that's the night, I think, that he like decides, hmm, let's all eat this big bowl of cherries. And the women don't realize that each cherry they eat, the pit is going inside of Felicia, basically. And that's where the big liquidy vomit comes from (laughs) she is like um out of the hospital she's at home with her husband and she's on one of her rants about the women and daryl and evil and basically it's like she's getting possessed almost and all these cherry pits come flying out she seems like she's probably gonna die soon anyway but she's really losing it and then he takes the fire poker thingy and he like kills her and then he sits back down and reads his book but in the morning, like we see the ambulance and everything there. So something that I read indicated that like he killed himself too. And I was like, hmm, I didn't notice that. But so then the women see that happening and they're like, okay, yeah, this is all out of hand. At that point though, I feel like they were irritated with each other. The women were, and they're, Jane is the one that like really doesn't want to give up Daryl. It seems like she's the most attached to him. And then they're arguing and like all the energy that happens from them arguing creates like a literal rift and the ground shifts and there's like a tiny earthquake Mm -hmm. um the earth opens up where they're standing and then they all get scared and run their separate ways and then they all avoid daryl he gets Um, really mad and gets revenge by and here's where we can get into how if you took all supernatural elements out of this movie and said, 
Now, Sarah, I believe in science, and there's no such thing as anything supernatural. There's a logical explanation for everything, and I think it's just a coincidence that this creepy narcissist came into town and started manipulating these women and trying to act like Charlie Manson so that he could have his own little harem. If you want to go from that angle, Daryl negged them to get them into bed. Then he manipulated them through love bombing to keep them. And then whenever things started getting out of hand and he lost control of them, now he's actually abusing them. You're right. That's true. That's following that formula. I can kind of see Daryl's point, though. And at some point, it's I view Daryl as like the wife who's getting left behind by her husband because he's like, I did everything for you. I gave you everything you asked for. I gave you everything you wanted. I provided you this beautiful home. And now you're just abandoning me. And I actually didn't do anything wrong. Like at that point, aside from killing Felicia, which they had already decided to cool it down and like distance themselves from him before he killed Felicia, like just before. So he really hadn't done anything wrong, wrong. He really had been doing what they wanted and giving them what they wanted. And they all were having a good time together when they decided to distance themselves. And so he was feeling like, why? I didn't do anything and you're abandoning me. He he has an instinct to protect their relationship at all costs because he'll mm-hmm. dissolve if he doesn't maintain it. So mm-hmm. him killing Felicia was just helping them out. Because from what he could tell, if he got rid of Felicia, then they could just go on being as they were. Right. He's basically saying, I'm living for you. Because he literally is living for yeah. them. Yeah. Okay, good. I was like, yeah, I kind of am on Daryl's side with right. this. I can see where he's coming from. Totally. He's trying to help them. And then he's just like left behind. Even like all of Suki's kids and everyone had been living at the house together. So for him, they were like one big family. Like he basically took in her children and everything. So he felt even more abandoned, I would say. I can see why. I'm not defending how terrible things were that he did, but it's like, I guess he feels like that's his only recourse. And he's just like a vengeful, he's just vengeful. And I'm just thinking of like, a housewife who devoted her life to her husband, like you said, she's living for him and then he abandons her and she's just like, okay, well, I've got nothing left to lose. My life was you. And now I'm going to get vengeance. Oh my God. Is, is the witches of Eastwick actually the Betty Roderick story? Is, is that the dirty John person? I yeah. mean, okay. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it is. Mm-hmm. Like at one point when I think Alexandra goes back to see him. So when things were good, they're all lounging around just talking and he was recording them. And then they each divulged like what was their biggest fear. And Susan Srandon's was just, um, I mean, Jane's was just dissolving or collapsing. And then Sookie's was having like unbearable pain. Yes, unbearable pain. 
which is like you've already had six kids so god maybe that's what, what could be more <laughs> maybe that's why she's so scared of it <laughs> yeah and then alexandros was snakes like just being surrounded by snakes yeah. so then after they abandoned him and he's become vengeful and he basically manifests each of those things for them so alexander wakes up in a bed full of snakes and runs out of the house and then jane is there actually jane had come back to the mansion because she was really missing him mm-hmm. and she was going to come surprise him oh because she had just found out she's pregnant yeah and she was like i'm going to surprise him and then she sees that he's watching the video of each of their confessions and he is looking really evil and she's like oh okay something bad's happening so she starts to leave and then suddenly she becomes like she looks like she's like 100 years old for a second because she's starting to corrode like her biggest fear and then she's like oh i've got to go warn the other girls then she gets to alexandra's and she's running out of her house because of snakes and then they're like we've got to get sookie and sookie's already having like unbearable pain like she's being sliced open from the inside and she has to go to the hospital and she's like hemorrhaging. Like she's almost dying. So yeah. she gets the worst of it. Yeah. And then so they have to make up with him in order to save her. And then Alexander is the one that does it um, or tries to. And when she goes back to see him, like all everything in the mansion is just kind of falling apart and he looks like crap and he's ironing his own clothes. <laughs> and they've got. They've got bird marks all <laughs> over. <laughs> that really cracked me up. He was doing his uh, here's Johnny mm-hmm. through the axe through the door, Jack Nicholson uh character. And it was really funny though, because he's ironing shirts. It's also interesting that he's like, you guys left and now I have to do my own ironing. Yeah, but I feel like they weren't doing his ironing before. I feel like Fidel no, person would have been doing it. No. But yeah, but it was funny because he had, that was part of his speech to Alexander in the beginning about like, the ironing will still be there. The dishes will still be there. Like that's all mundane and you're better than that. And then you see him having to do it. And that was another thing that just made me feel like he was like an abandoned housewife kind of feeling. Totally. Yeah, that's a really interesting twist of showing men what women go through when they're abandoned as housewives. Because I bet there were a lot of men who watched that that started identifying with, as we did, of you thought you were doing everything right and they just up and leave you. Yeah. And from what you can tell, you spent you dedicated your whole fucking life and all of your energy just making them happy and encouraging them to be their best selves. Mm-hmm. And then when they reach their enlightenment, they leave. Yeah, they move on. It's yeah. the Betty Roderick story. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because while he's ironing in his speech, he's like, I just want the family together. I want to save the family. I like how how layered it is. <laughs> it's layered, for sure. Speaking of layers, I love the outfit that he's wearing at the end when he's wearing the long pink trench coat and like pink shirt and vest. It actually looks kind of cool. I think it's hard to pull that off. He looks like a businessman in space. Or like a professional ice cream salesman or something 
He's actually I like that up better. going to the ice cream store at the end. So it's perfect. I laughed through this whole thing when, so they make a poppet, a, rep, a representative wax figure of Daryl. So they're doing a real actual spell now and to get rid of him. And they start sticking him with needles and he starts having pains and you see him reacting to what they're doing to him. And he's in the ice cream shop and he busts his hand through because his hand starts burning and busts it through the glass and sticks Mm -hmm. his hand in the chocolate ice cream. And it's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) He's good at physical comedy. Yeah, he is. Well, then he gets blown into the church and vomits a lot. Because they do the cherry pit trick to him too. Yes. Mm -hmm. Also, just I was going to say, just as a hot tip, whenever somebody asks you what your biggest fear is, (laughs) say something really benign. Yeah. Just in case. (laughs) Just in case. You never know how they're going to use that information. What's your biggest fear? Having an interaction with somebody who asks me what my biggest fear is. (laughs) (laughs) It's been realized. (laughs) Oh, I did want to say, so, you know, at the end when they kind of have their showdown and he ends up coming back, they take more extreme measures to destroy him through the poppet. And he's like, makes it to the house though. And there's a big battle. Uh, Jane falls over the railing. Oh, yeah. Suki realizes that if they all start laughing at the same time, that it will break her fall gracefully. That's what they do. And then she avoids, she averts the danger. And I just thought that was a really easy demonstration of like, when you can train yourself to not worry about something, but to instead take that feeling of worry and use it as an alarm that you need to feel into your best possible outcome instead, I guess is what I mean. So I have like just two little tidbits of trivia. Yeah. I found interesting. Um, So originally, do you know who was going to play Daryl. No. Bill Murray was slotted to play Daryl's part. <laughs> How interesting. Think I think that? he has that same, especially it, like 70s, 80s Bill Murray, has that same kind of smarminess. Mm-hmm. Though I think he could, I think he could have pulled that off. Yeah. You can definitely be smarmy. But also charming at the same time. Yeah, I actually, I almost think I would have been more, I would have found Daryl's character more attractive if it had been played by Bill Murray. So at the time, Angelica Houston, who was in that movie Witches, right? Uh She was dating Jack Nicholson. And she was actually going to be up for one of the roles, but something happened. And so that's how he heard about it, too. And that's how he got involved. Oh. 
And then originally Cher was going to be playing the part that Susan Sarandon played, Jane, like the quiet, bookish musician. And then Cher was like, no, I want the other part. And um, she got it, but apparently no one told Susan Sarandon that they had switched until she got there, like, to start (laughs) filming. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Cher is powerful. Well, I love Susan Sarandon's transformation. So I actually think that casting is better. I do, too. Is that, you think so, too? Yeah, because I think it would be hard to see Cher as, like, mousy and mild and meek. So uh, Cher and Daryl are talking about, Alexandra and Daryl are talking about how Daryl bought all of her little, like, fertility looking sculptures and daryl says the little booby dolls potent full of juice (laughs) that was my favorite quote (laughs) (laughs) that's good i mean my favorite quote i think it would just have to be she's not even wearing a bra (laughs) i was gonna say the other one the after lunch one, but I just don't want to say that word again. <laughs> questions, questions, questions. Have you ever wished for something so hard and then when you got it, it backfired? Ooh, that's a good question. Have you ever manifested something that you wished you hadn't? <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know if I can top that. Um, so if you have ever wished for something so hard or manifested something, and then once you got it, it turned ugly, it wasn't what you wanted, things went wrong, you regretted it. Um, let us know at coverizepodcast at gmail.com. Yes, there's a lot going on at Patreon. Holly's been super busy keeping that stocked full of goodies. Join us on Patreon. There's different levels if you're interested. Love your support. If not, that's fine. We're just happy that you're listening. We hope that you like it. We like making it. We have fun. We hope that you have fun listening. Tell your friends. Leave a review. Mm -hmm. Sarah will send you a romance novel. There's still any up for grabs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, for my grandma's collection. Western-themed romance novel. So if you give us a review, um, you know, hopefully five stars, that would be great. Then we'll send you a copy. Just let us know on our Gmail if you do give us a review and then we'll give you the, we'll give you the book. It'll be good. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Cover Your Eyes Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Where's the strangest place you've lost your car keys? Inside the refrigerator, the washer or dryer, the trunk of your car, the kitty litter box. Well, good news, because even if you've lost your keys on the moon, you can still unlock your car and get where you're going with available digital key in the 2023 all-new Kia Nero EV. Farther for all. To learn more, visit kia.com slash Nero EV today. Kia, movement that inspires.